0: You're listening to Do You See What I See, the podcast about finding hidden art in everyday life. I'm Tian Wing. And today, we're talking about sumo. It was the summer of my junior year of high school, around July, where the summer haze really sets in, that kind of haze where you're equal parts doing nothing and procrastinating and lazing. And it was around midday, which had started to become the beginning of my day. And I was glued to my bed debating whether I should wrap myself tighter into a blanket burrito and extend my dozing record into the afternoon. Or satisfy my hunger, which was beginning to manifest itself as embarrassingly loud stomach growls that were starting to kind of sound like whale calls. It had become too much, and I hauled myself downstairs to satiate my stomach, and when I walked into the living room with my reheated leftover fried rice, I came across a scene I had never witnessed before. On the TV, there was a sumo wrestling match. 199 kg Gagamaru against 114 kg Ishiura. There is the large Georgian. He's up against Ishiura, who is one of two newcomers to the top division. An 85 kilogram difference between these two, but Ishiura makes that point moot as he gets a shitate nage underarm throw. This is audio from a sumo wrestling match that aired on NHK. NHK World TV from Japan. Nippon Hoso Kyokai, a Japanese English television channel and the Japanese national public broadcasting channel, kind of similar to the United States PBS with its cooking shows and shows about Japanese history. And it was the first channel on which I came across sumo wrestling. And it wasn't an instant love. At first, I was wholly uninterested and even a little put off. I'd never liked wrestling, and sumo seemed so brutal and almost crude. I thought what many people who are unfamiliar with sumo wrestling tend to think. That the sport was simply, for lack of a better word, overweight men and basically speedos wrestling each other. Or was I wrong? My dad was interested and continued to watch. A summer tournament was taking place. and I began to start sitting with my dad and following the competitors day by day to see how they were performing. Yago straight away gets the right hand outside grip. Both men prefer left hand in. Yago has maysay in trouble, and Yago wins on day one in his first. I soon became fascinated by what seemed to lie under the surface the long-standing tradition and history behind sumo, the emphasis on technique and discipline, which can make or break a match, and perhaps most fascinating was witnessing the delicate balance between weight and strength. Weight is certainly a factor in sumo wrestling, but not every sumo wrestler is necessarily overweight, nor is their weight always their greatest weapon. My personal favorite in the tournament was a Japanese-born sumo wrestler named Ishiura. Ishiura Masakatsu was the lightest sumo wrestler in the tournament, which made him a bit of an underdog. When he first made his debut into Makuchi, the top division of professional sumo wrestling, he was officially 18 kilograms or 40 pounds lighter than any other competitor in the division. As of July 2018, he is officially 116 kilograms, or 256 pounds, and is still the lightest competitor in the top division. In comparison, the heaviest Japanese born sumo wrestler, Yamamoto Ryuta, at his heaviest weight, was 256 kilograms, or 584 pounds, just barely under twice Ishiura's weight. It was thrilling to watch the unusually small Ishiura beat opponents who were so much larger and so much stronger. But he never seemed to make it to the top, always kind of resting in the middle of the pack. And that was because as fantastic of a sumo wrestler as he was, as fast or strategic as he was, his weight was a very real disadvantage. When wielded properly and accompanied by good strength and technique, weight can be the determining factor of a loss or a win. There are other factors, however, besides weight. Let's start way back from the basics. Sumo started in ancient Japan and is said to date back as early as 23 BCE, as a ritual, to pray for a good harvest by impressing and entertaining the Japanese Shinto deities with displays of strength. It was first recorded in the Kojiki, the oldest surviving chronicle of Japan in the early 8th century. Originally, tawara, or straw bales, were placed in a circle to create the edges of a ring. Actions inside the ring began to refine into a series of rituals, and sumo soon became the main ritual of festivals. The rules remain relatively simple. A sumo match is fought in a ring which is four and a half meters long and risen off the ground, called the dohyo. The dohyo, made of a mixture of clay and sand, is remade for every tournament. To win against your opponent, you must force them out of the ring or get them to touch the ground with anything other than the soles of their feet. And these bouts or matches tend to be very short, sometimes only six seconds long. Kotoyuki fast away drives Yutakiyama back, Yutakiyama off the Tawara rallies and gets pushing and thrusting against Kotoyuki and he wins by Oshidashi. Some other traditions have stayed as well. The Tawara still forms the outside ring of the Dohyo, which resembles a barely risen ring above the ground. Before each bout or match between two sumo wrestlers, wrestlers toss salt in the air in front of them, which is in honor of a salt purification ritual from traditional Shintoism. A gyoji, or referee, is also in the ring with the wrestlers, monitoring to ensure no rules are broken, such as grabbing hair or early starts. That speedo-looking garment wrestlers wear? It's a tied belt called a mawashi, which is often used for holds and throws within a sumo match. Although there are 6 divisions within professional sumo wrestling, NHK only shows live broadcasts of tournament matches between the top division, the makuchi. There are 47 wrestlers, or as they prefer to be known as rikishi within this division, ordered into 5 ranks depending on their performance in previous tournaments the highest being Yokozuna, then Ōzeki, then Sekiwake, Komosubi, and Maegishira. Wrestlers are considered for promotion or demotion before each grand tournament according to their performance in the previous tournament, so their positions are always fluctuating and never stationary or permanent. People say that if you go to a sumo wrestling match and you sit in the front row, when two wrestlers collide, it can create a thunderous, ground-shaking sound. And that's because sumo, at its roots, is ultimately a display of strength. While other forms of martial arts, boxing, taekwondo, western-style wrestling, etc., are certainly displays of their own strength, sumo is the essence of force. Not only is there mass behind the strength, but speed as well. Because if you've ever seen a good sumo wrestler move during a match, their speed is explosive. And to be able to weigh as much as they do and still move as fast as they can takes an incredible amount of strength. Sumo wrestlers have to train very hard for what they do. Wrestlers are expected to be part of a stable, which is a complex where they're expected to live and train with other wrestlers. They're meant to live, eat, and breathe the sport while following the strict instruction of their stable masters and subsist to a diet primarily of meat, fish, and vegetables. Meat, fish, and vegetables. You heard me right. The sumo wrestlers' diet, and even their diet for weight gain, is surprisingly nutritious. And one of the main meals that wrestlers consume is called nabe. In professional sumo, after the practice, we eat rice and... You know, like beef fry or some fish. But our main dish is like chanko nabe. Yeah, a lot of vegetables. Onion, green onion, ginger, mushrooms, eggs, lot of meats, fish too. Munchies actually did a great video following two-time sumo world champion Biamba and his 10,000 calorie diet and how he makes chanko nabe. They also have a chankonabe recipe that we'll link along with our video in this in the description of this episode if you'd like to try making it yourself. Chankonabe is a Japanese stew that generally uses a chicken stock or dashi base, but beyond that is almost like one-pot chopped suey stew in that it's often created from whatever's available to cook. However, there's a priority on packing the stew with protein from chicken to tofu, fish, sometimes beef, and vegetables. And if we think about the time and effort that sumo wrestlers put into their athleticism and performance in the ring, the sport of sumo wrestling functions as a form of bodily capital. In 1985, Pierre Bordeaux published a sociological essay called The Forms of Capital. In it, he identifies three forms of capital. Economic capital, which is what we typically perceive capital to be. Money, assets, stocks essentially command of economic resources. The second is social capital, essentially a person's relations and network that can be utilized as a resource for one's advancement. And lastly, cultural capital, a person's education and knowledge which allows them advantages in achieving a higher status in society. So let's say I'm at a farmer's market and I want to buy some lovely, fresh organic strawberries, but organic strawberries are expensive and so are farmers markets. So these strawberries cost like $10. And let's say the farmer selling the strawberries, hypothetically, only speaks German. If I also speak fluent German to talk to the farmer, and we can talk about how maybe we're distantly related, let's say he's married to my cousin or something, and because of this, he gives me a discount for the strawberries, so I only have to pay $6. Then I've used all my three forms of capital my cultural knowledge of German language, my connection with my cousin, and my $6. However, sociologist and social anthropologist Loic Wacquant proposed that a fourth kind of capital exists, bodily capital. Wacquant spent many years observing and even participating in the Chicago boxing scene and observed how the social world invests, shapes, and deploys human bodies within the field of boxing. Pugilism, which is more commonly known as the practice of boxing, involves strict diet regimens, training, all based on a particular social structure to ensure that a boxer's body is turned into a certain way, that a boxer is fit, in a top shape for a fight, and boxers themselves invest their early lives and assets into training until their body has become a valuable asset, a form of capital off of which money can be made. And The condition of their body translates into capital. Likewise, couldn't we say the same thing about sumo wrestling? The difference is the social structure that the sumo wrestlers adhere to. Sumo wrestlers are required to put on a significant amount of weight as a foundation to ensure that they aren't easily overpowered by their opponents who generally tend to also have a lot of excessive weight. Simultaneously, they need to maintain great strength to handle that great weight from their, of their opponents and master techniques and throws, and they're also expected to put a great amount of time into the nutrition of their diets as well. In a painting, we might express sadness through dark colors, blue tones, showing the expression of a person's face. But how does one express the essence of physical strength? For the Japanese, it's sumo. Sumo with its balance of mass, force, strength, experience, knowledge of technique, the sumo wrestler is a talent, an asset for the capabilities of his bodies and his ability to be that pinnacle of all those things. Remember, we can't be blinded by the appearance of things. Just because sumo wrestlers' appearances of excess weight make us think morbidly obese rather than incredibly athletic doesn't mean that's the case. And oftentimes in American culture, it's hard for us to understand the sport of sumo wrestling because it's so deeply rooted in a lot of ceremony and traditions, such as the salt throwing at the beginning of a match. But we'll end with this. Some traditional Japanese performers serenading crowds as they exit a sumo tournament. And remember, some of the coolest forms of art can be hidden in the places that we least expect them to be. Been listening to Do You See What I See, the podcast about finding the hidden art in everyday life. DizWiz, Do You See What I See, is available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Overcast, and Pocket Casts, and is produced out of WTVU The Beat of Boston University. I'm your host, creator, writer, and editor. Unfortunately, I'm not the mother of dragons, but I am the mother of this podcast, Tian Wing. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DUC Podcast for extra content or if you just want to tweet me your reactions of Game of Thrones. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.